Our scripture reading is in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called, with humility and gentleness and with patience, showing forbearance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who are over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, of building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belong to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness of deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, for whom the body, being fitted, is held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body and for the building up of itself in love. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me before we study this passage briefly, and then transition into our observance of communion. Let's pray for God's blessing over the study of his word. Father, here we are with our Bibles open. We recognize that this is no ordinary word. This is your word. Lord, please, by your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Spirit, enable us to see what you are showing us here, to hear what you are saying to us. Or may we be transformed this morning by the renewing of our mind. May we become the church you want to mold us into. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This is a big passage, and it is full of a a lot of big, glorious things that I would love to go into great detail here with you. But I also want us to have time 
to partake of communion without feeling rushed. So, I'm going to, under three headings, sort of just walk you through an overview of this passage. The three headings are, for you organized people who like, like me, like to have an outline, like to have it tidy, how we walk, how we are one, and how we work. Okay, these are our, our three headings for this sermon. How we walk, this is, uh, in, in a sense, our disposition toward each other, how we should be, how we should live toward one another as Christians. How we are one, this has to do with our position, that we are united in Christ. And how we work, this has to do with our function, how we operate as a group of Christians, as the church. So we'll start with how we walk. How are we to live in light of our unique calling as Christians together in the church? How are we to relate to one another? It's different from the way the world relates to each other. It's altogether different. How are we to relate to each other now that we're in Christ and we're Christians? Well, there's one word that I think is perfect to sum up what Paul is saying here, and it's the word deference. Okay, deference is not a word that we use a lot. Uh, Some of you kiddos in the room, I'm going to teach you that vocabulary word in Randy. Randy always gives me a hard time about my vocabulary, so this one's for you. Deference is a humble submission and respect. Deference, the, the classical definition for it is a humble submission and respect. And that sums up well what Paul says here of how we're to relate to one another. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they had been called. What is the calling to which they had been called? It's the calling that he's gone to great pains to explain in the rest of Ephesians, but basically it's the calling in Christ to be God's people, to be forgiven, to be made blameless and holy, and to together grow up into worshiping God together. It's a calling that every Christian has on his or her life. It's a calling that you have if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And there's a way to walk or live that's worthy of that calling, and there's a way to walk and live that's unworthy of that calling. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You've heard the phrase, uh, conduct unbecoming, an officer and a gentleman. There's conduct that's just unbecoming of a Christian. So he lists out the conduct that is becoming, that is worthy, and it's humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So when you become a Christian, dispositionally, something dramatic begins to transform. When you're born, you are inward-focused. Okay, We are born in sin, we're born enslaved to sin, and we're born with ingrown eyeballs. We're born with an ingrown heart. And it's all about me, me, me. What's in it for me? How's this affecting me? What are my desires and preferences? What do I want? How do I feel? Me, me, me. That is the natural state of humanity. 
Now, as Christians, we are completely transformed from the inside out. And part of that is this disposition. And our disposition toward me begins to flip outward to where instead of it being all about me, 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 it becomes all about you, you, you. Humility, gentleness, patience. Why is it so important that this be our, our disposition toward one another in the church? It's, this is more important for us than it is for anybody else outside of the church. You know, every parent teaches their kids, you know, be nice to people. But it's especially important for us as Christians. It's especially foundational to our identity as Christians because of the next point. So that was how we walk. We should walk in deference to one another, in humble and submissive respect to one another. The reason we should walk that way is because we are one. We are one in Christ. It's not that we should be, it's that we are. If you are a Christian, you've been united in Christ with all the other believers throughout time and and history and geography. And we are in Jesus Christ one. That's what he says there beginning in verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's not that we should be one, it's that we are one. And we should live in light of that. Okay, it's not that your body should be one body, it's that it is one body. And that's why when any one part of your body starts to rebel against the others, your back as you get older starts to get weaker and weaker and weaker, it's not that your body needs to unite with your back and your back needs to unite with your body, it's that it is united. And so its malfunction affects everything. Okay, it's like a married couple. Married couples are one. In this cosmic way that's beyond our ability to understand, a husband and a wife are one. It's not that they should be one, it's that they are one. And so when one or both partners lives out of, out of that context, they live in such a way that it does not reflect that unity, it causes pain. And when they live in such a way that it reflects that unity, things go better. You know, this church went through a split a while back. Many of you were here and remember it. Okay, that was really painful for everybody. And it was really painful for everybody because you, you were one. Even when people weren't acting like you were one, you were one. And that's why it hurt so bad. Okay, in the body of Christ, we truly are united. Whether we acknowledge it or not or realize it or not, we really are. So we should walk in a way that acknowledges that fact. We should walk in such a way as to live in light of that unity. So we should be humble to one another, recognizing that we're part of the same body, one body. We should be gentle with one another, recognizing that the same Holy Spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. We should be patient with each other, because the same thing you're hoping in for your salvation, the same thing you're hoping in for God's grace and goodness toward you, is the same thing they're hoping in. We all share the same one hope. We're all sinners. We're all spiritually bankrupt in in need of God's bailing us out through Jesus Christ. We're all in the same boat together. And when we do walk in this way in light of our oneness, then the church 
works. It functions. Okay, so we've seen how we walk and how we're one. And lastly, we'll look at how we work, how the church is supposed to work. There are so many books written. You may not know, but I I love books, and I love books about ministry and pastoral ministry in the church. Um, I'm taking a, a class right now in theology, and one of the sections will be ecclesiology, the study of the church, and I'm very excited about that. There's a lot of thought that goes into how the church is supposed to be. How is it supposed to function? What's the, the organization supposed to look like? How could a church grow? Because I do think churches should grow. Um, you know, some people look at it this way, that any living thing grows. And if it doesn't grow, something's wrong. You know, if you have a child and it doesn't grow, he or she doesn't grow. It's not an it. If it's a, something's not right there. If you plant a tree and it doesn't grow, something's wrong. And generally speaking, we Christians as a church, we should grow. So how, according to this passage, do we work as Christians? We grow together. That basically sums up what Paul says through the second half of this passage. We grow together. We grow together just like a a human body grows together. I remember seeing a movie a while back, and one of the characters, as an experiment, decided to only work out the right side of his body. And so he always had dumbbell in his right hand. He was always lifting weights. You know, whenever he would do leg day, it was only his right leg. And so the right side of his body was extremely muscular, and the left side of his body was extremely scrawny. So it was like the right side of his body was sort of Matt Broadway build, the left side was sort of Stephen Carpenter build. That's really weird. That's really strange because our bodies grow in, in um, I can't think of words up here today. I can't think of the word I was going for. But the body, it, it grow, proportion, it grows in proportion to itself. All the parts of your body grow, okay? That's the way we grow as a church. We grow together. And apart from one another, we don't grow. Okay, if I, or if my son who's still growing, I'm not really growing anymore, but my son's still growing, if in some horrible accident he loses his arm, that arm's not going to continue to grow. Okay, that arm's going to die. Okay, se- severed from the church, you don't grow spiritually. Okay, the idea that you can go off and be a lone ranger Christian and thrive spiritually is a, a lie from Satan. We grow together or we don't grow. Okay, we require one another in order to grow and function as a church. So let me read to you what he says. I'll start in verse 7. It can be difficult to follow his train of thought. I know that and I admit that. And I'm not going to unravel it all this morning. I'm really going to just focus on one verse of this. But let's read the rest of the passage just to get a general sense of what he's saying. Starting at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. That... (coughs) Excuse me. That requires so much explanation that I'm not going to give you right now. 
I know that's a confusing bit of scripture. Study it. Go, go study it. Figure out what that means. But for now, we're going to keep moving. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, that's you, that's all Christians, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, now that, that was a mouthful and an earful to hear, I know. For our purposes right now, as we begin to, to lean toward communion, which we're about to partake of, let's just look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The church grows when we all are in relationship with one another, speaking the truth in love. We grow up together as we do this, this process of speaking the truth in love to one another. Now, that's not a fancy program or strategy, and that's not anything that we can put on the website or something, but that's how it works. We Christians grow together as we speak the truth in love to one another. Now, what is the truth that he's referring to? Is that any truth? Does that just mean if I can just say true things to you in a loving manner that, that will grow? After the fellowship time, somebody has food on their face and you are brave enough to in love say, hey, you've got half a biscuit hanging off the side of your face. Like, man, you just spoke the truth to me in love. We grow together. Now, I've always thought that meant when we have to say hard things to each other, we don't shy away from it, but we do it in love. Whatever those hard things may be. That's, for whatever reason, that's the impression I grew up with. But I think he's speaking about something very, very specific here. The truth. In the context of the rest of this passage, he's talking about speaking the truth to one another that requires apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip us in order to be able to do it. It's said that Jesus gave the church all these gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and preachers and shepherds to equip us for this work of building ourselves up. And then it specifies that that work looks like speaking the truth in love. I think the truth he's referring to is the truth that requires those sorts of ministers to equip us to be able to speak. It's the truth that builds up the body of Christ. It's the truth that moves us toward the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's the truth that anchors us so that we're not like little children tossed about by all kinds of different doctrines. 
It's the truth that enables us to grow as Christians together. I think the truth he's referring to is the gospel. The church grows when we speak gospel to one another in love. When we speak in light of and about the truth of Jesus Christ to one another in a regular, ongoing, daily life kind of way, we grow. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty doable. So what is the gospel? And this will be a good segue toward communion. The gospel means good news. But to understand the good news, you kind of have to understand the bad news. The fact is, you were born in sin. Every part of you was compromised by sin. Every part of me was compromised by sin. And in this sin, we grew up rebelling against our Creator, arrogant enough to try to be our own gods. And in our rebellion against our Creator, we've alienated ourselves from creation. We've alienated ourselves from ourselves. We're all messed up. Emotional issues, all kinds of problems. We've alienated ourselves from other people. That's why there's so much crime, there's so much trouble, there's so, so much pain in the world, wars. And we've alienated ourselves, most importantly, from God, our Creator, our Father, with whom we were created to have a vibrant relationship with. That's the whole purpose of you, is to know and enjoy and worship God. But your sin has severed that relationship and set you against God and God against you in rebellion. Your sin has set you against God in such a way that you must die and be damned. That is the punishment God has said is set aside for sinners. Hell. And, and you're walking in a, in a kind of walking dead life, spiritually dead and unable to save yourself. Unable to save yourself. Now that's the bad news. And we can't forget that because without that we, we forget how good the good news is. Because the gospel, the good news isn't so straighten up and stop sinning and get right with God. The good news is God came down here to us. In Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus came, he was God and man. He was one of us, yet able to do what none of us were capable of doing. He lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And just like the Old Testament sacrifices of those animals, it would, it would cover the sin so that people could find forgiveness with God. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ will cover your sin so that you can be forgiven by God. There's no other way to cover it. It's either your death or Jesus' death. So he died as a sacrifice for your sin, and he died as your substitute on that cross. He took the death that you deserve. So if you'll believe in him, if you'll receive that gift, you can be forgiven of your sins and cleansed of the filth of your sins, made righteous in God's eyes as Jesus' perfect record is imputed onto you, reconciled with God, able to go to him in prayer, able to hear from his word, able to live in relationship with him and worship him, restored to him through Jesus Christ. 
And he didn't just die for your sins. He also rose from the grave. He's alive. He is alive and he's the rightful Lord of your life. So the good news that we have is that in Jesus Christ, we have it all. We have a a restored relationship with creation, with ourselves, with the people around us, and most importantly, with God. In Christ. In Christ. Now, we're always, always pulled away from the gospel. Everything in this world is trying to pull you away from that good news. It's trying to pull you away so that you find your security in something else other than a restored relationship with a good God and Father through Jesus Christ. So you start trying to find your security in how you look or your bank account or your career or your family. Everything in this world is trying to pull you to find your identity in something else other than the fact that you are God's son now in Jesus Christ. And so we have to constantly be speaking gospel to each other. The gospel is sort of the power outlet for the church to work. So long as we're plugged into the gospel, we function, we work, we grow. Have you ever had an appliance or a light or something that just keeps coming unplugged? And it's extremely frustrating. That's sort of the church. We just keep coming unplugged from the gospel. And so we're spinning our wheels, trying to work, trying to grow, trying to think of programs, trying to think of something. If we would just keep plugging, keep plugging back into the gospel. Speaking to each other in light of that good news and about that good news. It's basically evangelism, but ongoing for people who are already Christians. We have to keep evangelizing each other because we keep forgetting the good news. I was taking a class last semester on communication. That's why I'm such an awesome communicator right now. In case you are wondering, why is he so... Such a good communicator. Part of the class on communication was interpersonal communication. You know, it's like me talking to you one-on-one or a small group. And one of the books we read was called Fierce Conversations. Has anybody ever heard of that? It's it's more of a business book. It's not written from a Christian perspective. Fierce Conversations. And the premise of the book was... If you, I think her tagline was, if you'll come out from behind yourself into the conversation and be real, then, you know, you'll get promoted or whatever. But she did, she made one observation that I think is really helpful that ties in very well with this. She said, the conger, the, I'm sorry, the conversation is the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. Like, how do we form relationships here among us as a church? You really can't do it apart from conversations. Now, that's not something that I want to be true because, honestly, I'm pretty introverted. You know, conversations are, I, you know, I have to work to have a conversation. But I think she's onto something. The conversation is the relationship. There's something very important about us talking with one another. And not just talking with one another about the weather or the crushing disappointment of the Super Bowl, or whatever it may be. But evangelizing each other, talking to each other in light of the gospel and about the gospel. Those conversations are the church, in a way. Those conversations are the church, in a way. Now I want to conclude this by giving you, bringing it together and trying to give you some examples. 
of what I mean, because it's kind of abstract, I know. So let's just, a few examples that I dreamed up that maybe will make it clearer, and then we will have a very graphic reminder of the gospel in communion. So let's say you notice someone has been missing from church. I know that doesn't really happen here, but in other churches, people do go missing. And you're in social circles enough that you kind of know what's going on in their life, and you've got a lot of good reasons to suspect that not only are they out of fellowship with the church, but they're living in sin. Okay, they're sleeping around, let's say, whether they're married or unmarried. As part of this body together, knowing that we grow together or we grow not at all, Perhaps the Lord would lead you. Perhaps the reason it's come to your mind so often, such and such is missing. Such and such is missing. And I'm afraid such and such is living in sin. Perhaps he would have you go to them. Perhaps he would have you seek them out. Call them, text them. How are you doing? Let's get together and grab a cup of coffee. Let's get together for lunch. I haven't talked to you in forever. I want to know how you're doing. To pursue them in conversation. And when you sit down over that cup of coffee, to turn the light of the gospel on, to shed light over everything that happens in that conversation from your perspective. Now, I'm not saying you say, I'm pretty sure you're sleeping around and here's why it's wrong. I'm saying you see them as part of your body, another son under the Father, uh, someone who swore allegiance to the same Lord. And in that conversation, speak to them in light of the truth of the gospel. And Lord willing, speak to them the truth of the gospel. Maybe it comes up what they've been doing. And as a brother and sister in Christ, maybe you do have an opportunity to say, you know, I saw you get baptized. I thought you wanted to follow Jesus Christ. Do you think that's compatible? Remember he said this. Remember he died for those kinds of sins. And why don't you go to him and ask for help to repent and receive forgiveness? Let's work toward forsaking that sin because he loves you too much, you know? Another possible example. You're talking on the phone to one of your buddies and you can always tell when the conversation starts to, that black hole of gossip swirling around and you start to get pulled toward it. You don't want to go, but you do. Something feels so good about it, but at the same time, you know it's not right to talk about the negatives about somebody's life to some other person with whom it has nothing to do. Okay, maybe this person on the phone is the one who's sort of steering the conversation that direction. And you click on the gospel to shed light on this conversation, and you think, how can I speak the truth in love here? You know, what, what does the gospel mean in this situation for this person I'm talking to and for this person that we're starting to talk about. And you remember, you know, we're all in the same boat with this one hope and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, whatever sins this person out here is struggling with are no worse than the sins I'm struggling with and you're struggling with. So let's just stop talking about them and let's pray for them. Okay, let's pursue conversation with them. You know, Jesus Christ died for that person that you just said that about. I know last week I joined you in gossip, but I'm feeling really convicted, and I want to follow Jesus Christ, and I don't want to do that anymore. Let's say there's a disagreement. In Sunday school, uh, Ron 
you know, goes over some very controversial point in the scripture and it sparks a discussion and, and two people are just sharply opposed about it. One of the controversial subjects in scripture. And uh, the interaction in class doesn't go well. And it makes both parties feel a little uncomfortable with the other because you think, you know, are they mad at me now because I said that or am I mad at them? Instead of letting it lie, go to each other and converse about it in light of the gospel. Even if we disagree, we're all baptized into one baptism here. We're all still wet with the same waters. And we can discuss and we can progress together and speak the truth and love to one another. People start talking about the election and you know who, which, which candidates they hate and which ones they think are the answer to all of our problems and turn the gospel light on there and remind each other that you know our ultimate king is Jesus Christ. Okay, God puts kings on thrones and presidents in oval offices. We don't need to be fearful here. Let's as Christians not be afraid. Let's as Christians be be even that much more bold about spreading campaigning for the one true king. Encourage each other in light of the gospel. I've got some others written, but I think that's plenty. The bottom line is, in Jesus Christ, we are one. So let's defer to one another. Let's relate to one another in uh, humble, submissive respect. And let's speak the truth to one another in love. Let's speak to each other in light of and about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, you will find that you will grow, and the people around you will grow, and we will grow as a church. Now, I want to invite our deacons to, to come forward and take their positions. We're going to partake in communion after a, a brief word of prayer. Let, as we partake of communion, let this be a very visual reminder of this good news we've been talking about. Of Jesus Christ, body broken for you, blood shed for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ that we are people of good news, united under the umbrella of the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to maintain our unity. Help us to walk in deferential love toward one another. Help us to get involved in each other's lives and relationships where we can communicate in light of and about the gospel. And help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen.